It seems like everyone is talking about LinkedIn and how to use it to find clients. If your inbox looks like mine, you're getting pitched three times, maybe four times a day from lead services that use LinkedIn to find prospects. It's weird that they all charge based on calls booked rather than projects booked, but that's beside the point. Anyway, if you've jumped into LinkedIn and started posting and the only response that you've had so far is crickets, today's podcast is a must listen. Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club, and on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, my co-founder Kara Hug and I interviewed Newcastle copywriter Alex Thompson. Alex shared how this podcast was his gateway into copywriting, but more importantly, he talked about how he uses LinkedIn to attract his ideal clients to him. He doesn't use it to pitch, he uses it to drive controversy. It's a strategy that might be worth testing in your own business. But first, we are going to London for a one day in real life event this October 25th. It's the first time we've done any kind of a public event in uh, Europe or the UK. And we would love to see you there while we're in the country. Uh, we've already lined up a couple of great speakers. I mentioned last week, Kennedy from Email Heroes. He's a funnel specialist. He, he's been on our podcast in the past. Uh, he's an amazing speaker and performer. Mindset coach Linda Perry, Kira and I are there, and we are lining up a couple of additional speakers as well as we get closer to the event. This isn't like our big events of the past. It's going to be smaller. It's going to be more intimate. The seats are definitely going to sell out. We're working on getting some pretty good food. It's just, it's going to be the kind of, uh, kind of day where we just hang out together and learn from each other, get to know each other better, a great opportunity to build your network and possibly make lifelong friends and connections. If you want to join us there, please go to the copywriterclub.com forward slash London. You can find, uh, all the details we've locked in so far in the next few days. Uh, they're, may even be a timer on how many tickets are left or uh, I, I believe there are still some tickets left i haven't checked but you can buy your ticket there on that page and with that let's hear what alex thompson had to share with us so all my life i thought i wanted to be a teacher so i was really smug all through school all through university after university everything when people were having crises of what they were doing next and what they would do with their lives. I was really smug. I was like, so I always thought that until I actually started teaching. So I moved to, when I was 21, I moved to Beijing for two years to be an English teacher. And that wasn't even like real teaching, really. It was re much easier than proper teaching of proper teachers in like the UK and the US, like subject, like what you call a proper teacher. And I didn't really like that. So Oh, so my crisis come later. So it wasn't at uni. My crisis is at like 24, 25 when ev what I thought I wanted to be in my life turns out I didn't actually want that at all. So I was kind of having a bit of a crisis then. And my fiance, she works in marketing and she was a, um, she was a project manager at a marketing agency at the time. And I'd moved from Beijing to Australia at this point, was living in Melbourne with her. And she told us about this thing called copyright. And it's like, it's a typical thing. Copywriters on podcasts and everything don't know they say, I didn't know what copywriting was until I discovered copywriting. And that was the same for me as well. She told us about it. She was like, well, you know, like businesses don't write things for themselves on adverts, TV, websites, everything. Like someone that does that. And I'd always loved writing. I'd always loved creative writing, especially. So 
I started putting the feelers out when I was in Australia, but not really. It was it was one of those things where I knew that's what I wanted, but was scared to really get started. So ended up kind of asking for advice off a few different people, not really going for it, didn't really make many things happen. I was still traveling at that point, was working like sales jobs and things like that, uh, just for some money to come in. And then it was when I got to New Zealand that I got a job on a farm and my job was to lay irrigation pipe, which is basically miles and miles of pipe with loads and loads of little holes in. And that's how they water all the lines of apple trees or vineyards or whatever it is at the farm. Moving pipe pipe is one of the most thankless (laughs) jobs in the world. I, yeah, it's it's (laughs) nuts. So it's like miles and miles of walking every day. And then you've got to go back because the pipe's on the floor. And then you've got to bend down to ankle level once every three steps to tie the pipe to this bit of wire with a, with a little plastic corkscrew thing, which in the mornings is really cold and hurts your fingers. So I did that for about 10 hours a day. And it was after the first couple of days, I thought, there must be something I can be doing with this time to make it a little bit more worthwhile. So I thought, right, luckily we're allowed to listen to music. And I say luckily, because some of the other farms we weren't allowed to listen to music as in a workers for health and safety concerns or whether the farmers were just not being very nice. But I thought, right, I'm going to Google podcasts. And funny enough, when we were talking on LinkedIn, this podcast was one of the ones that I started listening to. So this is a real kind of full circle moment for me then coming on this podcast because but 10 hours a day, I went through, must have been nearly the whole back catalogue at the time of episodes that they had there. And that was my first kind of introduction to copywriting. And that helped us get my head around key players in the game. So, so in terms of the copywriting greats that people would reference, I meant, oh, okay, I'll go and learn more about them. It opened my eyes to my ears as well to a lot of the different types of copywriting that you could do as well. Cause up to that point I was just in, I was like, right, I'm going to write adverts for TV or radio adverts. Like advertising essentially is what I thought copywriting was. Didn't know anything about marketing. It was all advertising I thought I was going to do. And yes, it's hard to actually put it into practice as you, as you're listening to some of the skills, but that's what gave us kind of my fundamental knowledge of a lot of the things that are still drawn today. Like I said, especially in terms of the copywriting greats, the fundamentals, the different types of copywriting, listening to other copywriters as well, who probably came from more challenging backgrounds and overcome bigger challenges than I had. So I was thinking, well, if they they managed to overcome that, then surely I can do this as well without kind of some of the struggles that they went through. And yes, that got me through. I was I did that for about three months and it was leaving that farm for the broken back lots of money because we'd work lots. And then I had like a clear plan in my head. And I knew for a fact when I got back to Newcastle in England, I was going to do a copywriting course. And then whatever it took, that's how I was going to start my career in copywriting. That was about five years ago now. Yeah, I, I love uh, listening to your story. And it's always like really nice to hear, you know, when people uh, share that, you know, what they've gotten from the podcast. And I, I, def- I want to come back to that. But before I ask about that, I want to go all the way back to when you realized you didn't want to be a teacher, the, yeah. uh, the existential crisis, <laughs> like walk us through like that thought process, because uh, obviously you don't want to do the thing that you've been thinking about for the last decade of doing. Yeah. Panic. Uh, was it, were you just like, well, okay, it's, it'll be easy. I'll figure it out. Like t- walk us through the mindset challenges that you had there. 
I was definitely mad panic at first. It was a case of, well, if I'm not going to do that, what else am I going to do? Because I guess I'd missed out on, at the time, now I'd imagine when you're at university, there's probably people from marketing agencies going to university to give talks about the possibilities of careers in digital marketing. But even as little as something like, when I was at university, I left in 2021. Well, no, no, not at all. 2012. 2011 there wasn't even that influence there of like no we didn't know that copywriting was a job that because i did english literature at uni we didn't know that was a, a logical career that you could go into i mean funnily funnily enough now when i find some people that i was at university with on linkedin most of them are copywriters now <laughs> they're either writers authors or they're copywriters it seems to be one one or the other or they're in marketing of some kind so I missed out in terms of opening my mind to different career opportunities, different possibilities, because I was so set on that one goal, which I always kind of thought was a strength of mine was like, I'm focused on this goal. I'm going to do this. I'm blocking out everything else until, like you say, it got to the point where that's not actually what I wanted. So yeah, definitely mad panic at first. And then I guess after that, it's kind of the different stages of a realization is if at first it's a panic, then you go through a bit of anger. I should have known. I should have known I didn't want to do this. I should have known this. And you blame yourself. Then you kind of accept the situation and think, well, what am I going to do about it? And at first, the what am I going to do about it was just to allow myself six months to a year of just just going to work at these the, some of the jobs that you do when you're traveling these like I was fundraising for charities on the phone a lot of jobs that i actually thought at the time were a complete waste of my time but now have put us in really good stead because i'll ring anyone to call call them and pick up the phone and offer my services i used to ring people i didn't know and try and get them to give money to their charity we were saving possums in australia which is like getting a phone call in england and asking you to save a rat for charity it was like a pretty much impossible job and i was pretty good at it as well so i just allowed myself some some breathing space really because if i hadn't done that i think i would have had a bit of a panic and then went full in on the next idea i had rather than thinking about all the options that i could have went down yeah, I love that you took a break. I think that's so important mm -hmm. to give yourself space to be like, I, I just can figure this out for a year and take yeah. the pressure off. I, I just wonder what specifically did you not like or appreciate about teaching that did surprise you or, or what was that moment where you're like, oh, wow, this is not what I wanted and not what I signed up for? Yeah, I guess it was like the hint of, so the school I was in was one of the top high schools in Beijing and the, all the teachers there were my friends, but some of the wider teaching team, there was bits of politics going on and I, I really don't like that. And when I come back to the UK while I was doing my copywriting course, I actually went to work back in a school because I kind of fell back on that because that's all I'd known really. And I was a teacher assistant in the school. So that's what really like hit it home that that's not what I wanted to be doing. And that was a really good driver for us um, learning copywriting. I guess it was some of the politics of de dealing with lots of people every day. I guess uh, like, copywriters don't like that, I guess, like dealing with lots of people every day. We like, we like, yes, I, I like going out and networking events. I like podcasts. I like speaking to people. But then I love the next day that I'm going to come into my office and just work by myself for a day and get my head down. I can do whatever I want. And everything I value about self-employed life now being 
saying whatever I want to say. It's my business. It's my brand. On LinkedIn, I'm, I do whatever I want on LinkedIn. Nobody can tell me what to do. And teaching is very different to that. You're very confined by other people's rules. There's a certain way, quite rightly so as well. There's a certain way you need to act. You're a, you're a role model to kids. Um, teaching is probably the least flexible, what well, one of the least flexible jobs out there as well. You take your holidays when you're told to take your holidays. Term times, term time. You're in school from this time to this time here. All that sort of stuff around it. That's the kind of stuff that I realized up to that point, I'd always craved routine. I've, I've always liked... I've always liked a routine. I've always liked to plan. I've always been meticulously organized. Um, it's going away, traveling a little bit, seeing new cultures, speaking to new people that were outside of my friend groups. I stayed at home for university. I'd never really mixed outside of my childhood friend group as well. So when I met, met other people with kind of different, from bit different backgrounds, that kind of opened my eyes to things as well. And I just, I, I guess, I, yeah, because had moved on a little bit, did a little bit of growing up while I was there and realized, oh, this is, this actually is one of the complete opposite things. And it's not the teaching part that I didn't want to do because I still miss that now, to be honest. And it's one of the reasons that I've started my podcast. It's one of the reasons that I every now and then I'll put on LinkedIn. I'm opening up three, three one hour slots next week for new copywriters who wants to chat. And I, I love those calls. I'll just sit with people because I wish I had that at the start of someone had offered me at the start of my journey, something like that. And I, I love those sessions because I just sit down and help someone. So I still miss that part of teaching. And I think that will, in a sense, be something I come back to eventually with some kind of coaching or some kind of training. But it was more the the authority kind of thing of it, I guess. I wanted to I wanted to do whatever I want. <laughs> That's what I do now. <laughs> I totally, I, I relate. I taught a college course, uh, an online college course for a couple of semesters. And the teaching part was, was awesome. It was fun. The grading part was awful. Mm, yeah. And the students who didn't like their grades then would come back and they're like, oh, you know, an A minus isn't good enough. I need an A. Yeah. Like, that stuff just drove me bonkers like yeah, yeah. Wasn't you need a perfect, ta so. to do that for you isn't that what well the way the way this was set you know no i didn't have a ta unfortunately <laughs> but, um, yeah. been... if i were ever going to do it again i'd have an army of tas because that grading <laughs> is not part of my skill set i would not want you to grade any of my assignments ever. yeah that's a smart move so let's let's come back to the podcast um yeah and I'm, I'm not trying to be overly promotional about listening to the podcast but i'm curious mm -hmm. like you're one of the few people who's listened to the entire catalog or, or close <laughs> yeah. to it, other than maybe kira's mom who <laughs> of course listens to every episode definitely does not listen um what are your biggest takeaways from that if you could you know categorize that and maybe you know if you have one favorite episode yeah so i guess the key takeaway from me with it is just that you can do it because a lot of people, I guess, when they first start listening to the podcast, it will usually be, I guess, this might be wrong, but from my experience anyway, it was like the earlier days of, of copywriting where you've maybe got more time to put into yourself development. You don't have as many clients on, you've got more time to fill by learning. And at the start of any journey, the start of any new career path, especially, especially one like copywriting where the more you learn about copywriting at the start, the more it seems like you don't know about copywriting. So there's that constant kind of loop that creates that, oh, I didn't know that. And I've been doing it for six months. Oh, I don't know anything. There's probably loads more I don't know out there. Which then, if you let the negative, uh, negative self-talk cycle continue, it gets to, you're not going to be able to do this. 
you're never going to be able to do this. You're not going to be as good as them. This elusive six-figure copyright and status that all copywriters seem to want to go for, you're never going to get that. And listening to, like you say, like I said earlier about the different people from different backgrounds, different challenges, I used to look at those people, listen to those people and think like, wow, like they've, they are, the odds are so much more stacked against those people than they are me. And that would kind of help me get through and think, you know what, I can do this. Um, favorite episodes, I'm on the spot here, none, I can't think. Right, favorite recent episodes, I can definitely give you Dave Harland. Um, Dave is, so when I first joined LinkedIn, I hated LinkedIn because my LinkedIn feed was full of the posts that I luckily no longer see because I've curated my feed a lot better now. And I only see posts from people who entertain, inspire, um, or educators. So, but at the post, at the first, the first, when you first got on LinkedIn, it's obviously full of rubbish. And I fell into that trap of posting, like, I think my first post on there was something like, I've been to a networking event today and met lots of inspiring business owners. And it was kind of like, it wasn't me. I didn't really know how to behave on there. I thought it was really formal. And then I saw one of Dave Harlan's posts and I was like, and I just straight, like me and Dave had a conversation not too long ago and our humor is really, really similar. We really get on. And when I found him, I was like, it opened my eyes to like, oh, you can, you can make jokes on LinkedIn. You can, you can mess around for want of a better phrase as well. You can make money by messing around on LinkedIn. Dave messes around on LinkedIn. I mess around on LinkedIn loads, especially this week. But so I guess recently Dave's episode, it was good for us to check back in with that and realize again, that something I take for granted now with the strategy that I employ on LinkedIn and Dave does as well, there is method in it, even though it looks, even though it looks like we're just making jokes and writing satire there is actually a method behind it. And Dave's episode was really good for a kind of a refresher on that to check back in with it. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about LinkedIn because I think, yeah, when I saw your style first, I mean, mm-hmm. it took me a while to figure out your style. It took me two posts. Yeah. To the first one was like, is he being serious? Is this true? <laughs> yeah. So we can circle back to that. But first mm-hmm. I want to hear about the farmer days, the three months, which mm-hmm. probably felt like three years. Um, laying yeah. the irrigation pipes. And I just want to know any lessons that you pulled from that business lessons that we could pull from you without having to do it ourselves. Um, what are the business lessons that I learned from, from, uh, from working on the farm? Any lessons that came out of it? Business, great, but life lessons, those are great. I guess, um, resilience is something I, I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of writing for, um, personal trainers and like mindset coaches, especially. So like that kind of space really interests in us. And, um, yeah, the farm days that was just pure resilience, mental and physical as well. Like just to be able to slog through that many hours doing exactly the same thing when you used to having such a varied day, mental resilience, I guess, to, decide there and then that 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 was that was the next step that I was that I was going to do and also guess within that as well and how I used to cherry pick the episodes at first was picking the episodes that I thought that tackled the areas that I thought I would be the weakest in so that's something I think a lot of copywriters don't do enough of now is they don't plug the gaps they'll just like 
they'll go all in too much. I guess um, the, the, the basic advice is, is to niche down. But really, if you look at your um, content stack almost or your service stack, there's always extra things you can be doing for your clients that will help you become more than a copywriter, help you become a marketing strategist, a marketing consultant. And I think that's what I realized back in the day is when I was listening to those episodes, I was like, right, I know I can write to a certain degree. Like I know that I could write a blog, for example, because I'd written three, four university papers every single week for three years. But then when I looked at an episode title and it was like SEO, I was like, what, what's SEO? So I'm going to learn more about that. Using data from email marketing, email, all these acronyms, click-through rates, open rates, like what are all these things? So I guess the lesson from that is being honest with yourself, looking at your weaker areas and not ignoring those weaker areas, doing something about it. And you might not, be, you might not need to become an expert in it so much that you start advertising that as a service that you're going to do you couldn't certainly I, I certainly wouldn't start advertising myself as an seo expert next week but it doesn't harm to have a better than work and knowledge of how all of these things work otherwise what i found is you're just a copywriter who says what you need me to do and there's a difference between that of saying okay what are your goals here's what we're going to do about that and you need that wider knowledge of how all the moving parts of marketing, digital marketing, advertising work to get to that stage. So it's definitely two there, yeah, resilience and then plugging the gaps in your knowledge and experience. Okay, let's talk about LinkedIn, your approach there. And I'm particularly interested in how it turns into clients. Uh, and I, I think the reason I asked that, and I, we had the same conversation with Dave when we had him on the podcast uh, earlier this year, it feels like when you're messing around, you know, you're just having fun or, or you're poking fun at certain things, sometimes even people, brands, whatever, that that might hurt your ability to reach out to people. But uh, it looks like in your case, in Dave's case, and there are others, it doesn't. So talk about your philosophy there, what you're trying to do. You know, you're, you're even like as you look at the week, you think, okay, I need five posts this week. I'm going to do this one, this way, this one, this other way. Like walk us through that philosophy. I guess for me, like if you can write good satire in my mind, because of the type of copywriter, creative writer that I am, if you can write good satire, that's like to me the ultimate uh, to write satire and write it well enough that it tricks some people, even if it's just a portion of the writing into believing that it's true at first. It's, it's a really fine line and it's something that takes a trial and error, a lot, a lot of practice as well. There's probably a bit of natural ability and background upbringing in it as well. No, Dave, similar to me and an upbringing of a big friendship group where everyone's constantly making jokes about each other. You've got to be sort of quick witted in those situations, which definitely helps when it comes to writing satire. So I guess a lot of it on LinkedIn is it's showing off your writing prowess and to be able to satire something well, you've got to have a really deep understanding of exactly what it is that's going on in order to write a satirical version of it. And I guess with all of it, it all comes down to my whole approach on LinkedIn, the reason I'm quite out there, the reason I'm looking to make people laugh the majority of the time, to be honest, is because that's going to attract the types of people that I want to work with. I know that my LinkedIn posts, not everyone's going to like them. And, and I bank on that. Like I bank on a, a select percentage of people 
absolutely hating the posts that are that are right just think that's not funny alex isn't funny alex is really annoying he thinks he's cleverer than he is i i can't i can't stand this guy i just he, he's, he messes around too much it, it's not for my liking at all i never want to work with that person because we're not going to get on they're not going to like my kind of writing style which is a little bit out there with web copy it's like i don't do any of the i've done it in the past but now i don't take on any corporate tone of voices there's definitely a place for it and it's a definite skill like there are copywriters who are really good at that really clear concise tone of like corporate tone of voice that's not me that's not what i want to be writing so it comes down to like, I guess it's a marketing tactic, isn't it? Like polarizing your audience. Some people either really love it or some people just really can't stand it. And when a post does well in terms of the reach goes quite big, inevitably it kind of eventually attracts those comments from those people who just either don't get it, don't like it, and they'll tell you that they don't like it. And I'm just like, when I see those comments, I'm like, okay, good, good, this is working. It was... It was far enough that lots of people have liked it, especially the people that I'm kind of close with on LinkedIn and the, my, the clients that I'm currently work with. They all found it funny, but there's a portion of people that didn't find it funny and didn't like it. Good, because that shows the post it's working because I never want to work with those people. So there's a bit of there's a bit of polarization in it. There's a bit of, yeah, demonstrating my writing skills within it as well. And it is a bit of a balancing act. And I'll be the first person to admit Sometimes I'll get too carried away on the humor side and then so I'll get too carried away on the humor side to the point where people will say to us, oh, it's a serious post today. I'm disappointed. Whereas you can't pigeon yourself. You can't like back yourself into a corner too much because at the end of the day, you do still need to share tips. You do need to share value. You need to share evidence of your work. Everything can't be a joke. Otherwise, nobody's going to take anything you say seriously. So I'm still probably learning that, to be honest, and learning the balancing act. At the moment, for example, I've done a little bit too many of the jokes in one go. I've realized I haven't broken it up with examples of work and some of the educational videos that I do. So yeah, it's all, it's all a balancing act, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's good fun. <laughs> so just a, a quick follow-up because a lot of people are listening and they're not going to have LinkedIn open in front of them. Can you give us an mm -hmm. example of one of those posts that you put out there that you're glad some people hate you you also appreciate the, you know, the clients that love it. Um, I know I'm sort of putting you on the spot cause you probably don't have it up in front of you, but yeah. Yeah. What are, what exactly are you posting? So one of the, easiest ways I've found to write satirical posts is to find an example of a post that you want to write, you want to write satire of. And one of the easiest ways to find those is there's a Reddit community called LinkedIn Lunatics, and there's a Twitter page called The State of LinkedIn. And what they'll essentially do is their community will send uh, examples of the typical type of LinkedIn posts where, they do, where the stories aren't true and it's like i think dave's got an example one where he pretends that he was he was going to work one day and he helped a dog cross the road and the interviewer was the dog and they they they, they post those kind of posts and they're like they're really good for sourcing material so one of the ones recently some guy posted about this, this blatantly fake story about how he was talking to his his economy professor and he said, if you could have a million dollars today or $50,000 per week for 50 weeks, what would you choose? 
And the guy said, neither. I would rather pay you $50,000 a week because if I get money for nothing, I'm going to lose my edge. And I'd rather, and if I'm going to lose my edge, I'd rather be dead. So I looked at that post and thought, okay, how can I turn that on, on its head? So I, ke- I kept the intro the same to hook, hook people in because they would sort of read through and then it's like the neither. And then I thought, wouldn't it be funny if the professor called his bluff, got his laptop out and set a go-cardless up on the spot for £50,000 a week? So that's how the post ended. And the post ended something like, uh, I've lost I've lost my house. The wife's left. She took the kids. My last meal was out, was out of a bin, but I ain't dead yet. So that, I mean, that's Still one. Still have edge. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wrote yeah. one a while ago, which went viral. Uh, it was... Um, I was sick of seeing these stories on LinkedIn about people like giving money, how they'll give money to charity or they'll help a homeless person out, but they'll video themselves do it or they'll write a post uh, about doing it. And it's just like, I just think it's really disingenuous and don't like it at all. So I wrote a post about, I was like, dear diary yesterday, something amazing happened. I was at the supermarket and an old man couldn't pay for his shopping. He was in tears and I really wanted to help. He tried to get me to stop, but I said, no, I've got this. It only took me five minutes to put all his shopping back on the shelves. And that's where it changes. And And then I thought, is this what it feels like to be a hero? No, I was just a man who saw what needed to be done and did it. And that one went viral because that fooled a lot of people. I had people in the comments saying, that's not being a hero. A real per, a real, a real hero would have, would have gave him the money, which led, which opened up more opportunities for jokes because then I could reply to those people saying, well, pay free shop. And he had four bottles of crystal and five kilograms of beluga caviar. You must have more money than me again. Just so that was one of those instances where a lot of people didn't get it. A lot of people are really angry and commenting. So I, again, I can't remember how many followers it was, but it was so many followers out of that one post and all of the followers that I lost some and gained some, but the ones that I lost, they're not the people I wanted to work with. And the ones that I gained was still some of the people that I talk to on LinkedIn now. And I might not have worked with all of them, but some of them referred work to me after that post. Again, it's just about it's building that network of people you like, that you get on with, that are similar to you, have similar interests, similar sense of humor, your people, I guess, is that or your tribe, some people refer it to. And yeah, they're the kind of polarizing posts that I like. I tried to repost that and it didn't catch on and nobody nobody believed it the next time. I don't know whether it was because they're a bit more wise to it or <laughs> but yeah, that was fun that one. Yeah. The first one I think I saw was the coach giving fifty thousand dollars to your coach. And I again just yeah. it was the first post. So I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, I gotta ask you about that in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. are you paying that much money to? Um, yeah. So just some quick follow-ups too. Just are, so have you gained clients specifically from what you're doing on LinkedIn at this point? Or is it like, this is a long game. I haven't, but I know it's going to pay off. No. So I was winning clients from LinkedIn probably three or four months after I joined the platform. Okay. I was winning the most clients I've ever won through LinkedIn on a regular basis was probably when I had around 1,500 followers. Um, it was my primary source of getting leads. Primary source of income was winning leads through LinkedIn. So I was, I was really on it with my sales, sales content, my sales posts, sharing examples of work, sharing testimonials, helping people trust us at that point, because I was still in my mind raising my profile. So some of the best content I've ever posted 
was in that time and a lot of the my best performed posts I've I've regurgitated them, reposted them, reused them maybe five or six times since then. But that was the first time I was re, um first time I was posting them. And that has always been up to recently be my approach to LinkedIn. It's maybe three posts per week to grab attention, to bring in new followers, connect with people who I might want to work with. And then the other posts focusing on proving that I can do, that I can do my job. So it's like balancing it out. So it's like, yes, I can grab your attention. Yes, I can make you laugh. But don't forget, this is what I do. Here's who I've done it for. Here's the results that I've got for other people. Here's how you can replicate some of the uh, some of these results for your business until you're ready to work for me and really focusing in on that content. I got some video work done recently and that was the strategy with that. It was two longer satirical videos paired with four face-to-camera, value-driven, real, real, like not the kind of tips that everyone knows on LinkedIn and you can just read someone else's post and regurgitate it. Going for so the one I posted, um, people go on my profile, they'll see one of uh, what makes a good hero section. So I've gone through one of my clients that I know for a fact that that website has worked absolute wonders for them. I've signed an NDA, so I can't go into specific results, but that website has worked for them. So being able to show my LinkedIn audience, this is a website that I've written. Here is my thought process behind it. Without being big headed, here's why it's so good. If yours isn't up to scratch, if yours isn't doing the same things as what this one is, then send me a message. Um, And yeah, that's the way I've always approached it. I've never been shy about talking about my offers on LinkedIn, telling people exactly what it is that I can do, telling people what it is that I don't do as well. That's a really powerful, powerful thing on LinkedIn. If there's certain types of copywriting that you don't like doing, if there's certain industries that you don't like working in, tell people. Otherwise, it's just, again, it's curating your LinkedIn feed into potential people who might be able to work with you. So yeah, that's what it's always been. And I've, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn in terms of the time that I spend on there has paid for itself way, way, way over. I'd say two years ago, it was, I was winning 80% of my work through LinkedIn, um, 20% of my work outside of LinkedIn. The first year that I hit the six figure mark, um, the next year I really didn't like that. And I didn't like that. I was, I'd built this audience on a platform that I didn't own and I felt too reliant on LinkedIn almost. So my goal that year was to try and switch it around the other way and only take 20% through LinkedIn, which I did. So I managed to find five solid email marketing retainer clients who I still work with now. That was probably two and a half years ago. I've been working with them two and a half years. So I switched that back around. And then now because of my podcast, because I'm building my audience into eventually hopefully having some kind of a training membership one day, I'm kind of now going back to LinkedIn and playing the long game a little bit with with that so yeah that's kind of my process there yeah no i so many questions but i'll focus on one um what would you say to copywriters who are struggling with linkedin i mean yes they're going to have different audiences so that we let's just assume it's a general audience but we talk to a lot of copywriters who are like yeah i'm showing up on linkedin doing it frequently nothing's yeah. working it's crickets i mean one thing I will note, as you said, you post three satirical videos or posts per week, and then you have yeah. additional ones that are meatier, value-driven. So that's mm-hmm. already way more than most copywriters are doing and content writers are doing. But like, what else would you say to them to be like, yeah, this actually can work for you. Maybe 
don't depend on yeah. it as your only platform, but this can work for your business. It's yeah, it is. It's getting the balance right and realizing where you are in your journey. If you're brand new in your journey, using some humor is probably going to do well for you. Trying to launch straight into satirical posts is maybe going to be a bit harder. The main problem I see with copywriters on LinkedIn is they write content to impress other copywriters instead of writing content to win business. Once you, all copywriters need to realize that other copywriters are not their clients and it doesn't matter what other copywriters think about your posts. There's a trend on LinkedIn, especially in the last six months of established copywriters, and I hate it, is they'll say, Oh, all these, all these tips, these generic tips on LinkedIn about copywriting. Like, what, what right do these people have to be giving out tips around copywriting? And if you're a new copywriter and you're reading that, that's going to be so hard. It's going to knock your confidence so much because, like, you don't have the experience of these copywriters who some of them have lost touch what it is to actually be a copywriter in the day to day, in terms of finding clients, the slog, the worry of not having clients. When, what are you going to do? Where's my next project coming from? Oh, I've got this potential project on the cards, but I've never done it before. I'm worrying about how much to charge for it. I don't know a process for it. Is it good? Am I a good copywriter? Is this what I want? They're so far beyond that because of where they are in their journey. They've forgotten about what it is to be a copywriter at the start of their journey. So I really hate it when people post stuff like that. And what copywriters need to remember is tip that might be run of the mill, the most common knowledge among copywriters to their target customer is probably going to be absolutely mind-blowing to the way where they just they've never heard that before and they realize i've been making that mistake with my content all along so to cut like say with new copywriters just keep sharing your tips as long as the tips are geared towards speaking towards your ideal client and not not other copywriters because I spoke to a, a lady on my podcast recently, Vadrian Boulet from the Seychelles, and she's a business coach, and she put it really well. And she said, a lot of people online are trying to look like the expert. Instead, you should ask yourself, how can I help people trust me? And it's it's such a subtle mindset shift from, I want to be, I want to be the expert, or how can I help people trust me? But before you write every piece of content on LinkedIn, if you look at it and think, is this helping someone trust me? Is this helping someone trust that I know what I'm doing? Is it going to help people trust that I'm a fun and easy person to work with? Is this going to help someone trust that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do? You're not over promising. You're always over delivering. That is in a sense of where I think a lot of copywriters, yeah, that they go wrong because they're looking at the other copywriters out there, the A-list copywriters as some people call them, and they're thinking, how can I get in with those people? That is not your job. Your job is to find clients. So yeah, definitely that's a, like I say, it's a big mistake that I see a lot of people making. And I made as well. I made that mistake at the start as well until I realized these people don't matter. The people that matter are the people who are going to be paying me money, keeping a roof over my head, paying my bills. They're the people I'm writing content for. Yeah, that, that's great advice. I have one more question about uh, your LinkedIn process and philosophy, and that is, are you only focused on posts or do you spend time commenting and not just on your posts, but on other people's posts in order to, you know, start 
conversations, engagement. Uh, like, for instance, like if you saw a client that you wanted to work with, do you start posting on their content as well, or is it all in on your stuff? So I've started working with uh, Leah Turner, and she's one of the biggest LinkedIn experts on uh, on LinkedIn. And I asked her a question. I said, if you could rather have the ability to write posts or the ability to comment on other people's posts, which would you pick? And she picked the ability to comment on other people's posts. And I found that really eye-opening because admittedly, it's it's something that I probably don't do enough of. But when I do have the time to do it, that's when I see a lot more followers coming through when I'm commenting on other people's posts, adding value, making a joke, whatever it is. It's so that is such an important part of building those relationships. One thing that I really do that I re- really do try to time, uh, find time for, and I'm usually always do find time for, is maybe not co- reply to every single comment on my post because some of them, some of the comments are just pretty hard to reply to without without being like kind of feeling salesy and being like and trying to start a conversation and it like that, that kind of thing. I don't like that, but I'll always at least react to the to every comment but for the most part i like to reply to every comment on there and if the content is is well placed as it should be and it's got the right strategy behind it the right intent behind it you're going to find it easy to have those conversations off the back when people comment on your post as well so definitely replying to comments is 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 a massive thing and yeah admittedly if i was to give myself advice it would be to carve out a little bit more time on linkedin to comment on other people's posts and it's one of those things that a lot of people are on LinkedIn looking to engage so if you can write the type of content or post the type of content that makes it easy for people to engage that's what's going to set you ahead of a lot of people on there anyway not asking a question at the end agree question mark something like that was just a waste of time but just talking about topics or sharing tips that like common misconceptions people might have Um, another good thing to post is um, if you just literally put the pain point of your ideal customer in speech marks at the top of the post and then answer answer that worry that's a really good one that sparks some good conversations in the comments people will comment going oh yeah i remember i was i was worried about this before i worked with you so you get some social proof in the comments or other people might comment and go oh, i've actually been worried about this myself and i'm looking for x y and z so yeah it's having a bit of coming back to the strategy behind the post as well but yeah i would definitely i would definitely comment more if i had more time yeah, and I wonder where you go from here. I know you mentioned that you don't want to be dependent on LinkedIn, and so you flipped that percentage, and now you're thinking mm-hmm. more long game about growing and maybe creating scalable offers. But I just wonder about, you know, you have a strategic mind how you're putting those pieces mm-hmm. together, because even with your interest in satire and that expertise, it seems like that would lend itself well to TikTok and to other social mm-hmm. platforms. So how do you you also can't do everything and be in all places, or maybe you can, but um, mm-hmm. how do you look at this step-by-step if you're thinking about that big picture? T- TikTok's a good example. It's I, I tried TikTok. I, I really did give it a good go. I took a course, uh, did everything that they said. Well, I didn't. I did everything that they said I should do up to a certain point. It was in, I think it was like a six or 20 week plan or something. And I got to about 12 or 14 and then kind of gave up. It was like three TikToks a day for the first two weeks, then a tick, then then one TikTok a day for a certain amount of time after that. And wow. it, I think at the time, I just I probably wasn't the right time to give it a go because I'm quite all or nothing. And 
at the time I tried to be all in on TikTok and just had just had too much to do with the day job. And it's like anything with copywriters, it's like any business owner, isn't it? There's the working for the business time and there's the working on the business time. And I had to just look at it after a certain point and think, this is taking me two plus hours to do these TikToks and edit them and post them and write the content for the TikToks and plan which ones I'm going to do next, getting all of my camera setups here. I've still got a stack of clothes in the corner of this room from when I used to do changes of outfit for all the different videos that I used to do. And I just had to look at it and think, if I was spending an extra two and a half hours a day on LinkedIn, how much money, how many more clients would I be bringing in? And I just couldn't ignore that fact after a certain time. Uh, it's definitely something that I'm going to return to with the launch of the podcast and things like that. And eventually I do want to get back, get back to it anyway. A few of the more professionally edited satirical videos that I've done recently, I did one taking the mick out of people's morning routines. Everyone's got these morning routines where they say they get out of bed at five and they go for a morning walk and meditate and all these things. Are you saying you don't get up at five, Alex? Yeah, I do get up at five, but that's not my choice (laughs) because it's the only time I have to go to the gym and my son's usually up by half six. So (laughs) I do get up at five or six, but it's not the springing out of bed into a cold plunge. It's reluctantly crawling downstairs, making a coffee, dragging myself to the gym. And that's not every day either. But it's, um, so yeah, it's again with that, with like, I think the, the content creators and the copywriters and business owners, marketers that you see who appear to be everywhere have a huge team behind them that yeah. make it look like it's just them. Yeah. Like, and I'm talking a huge team. I mean a huge team because the generally done thing is to have one person doing one job for you because the last thing you want is, so I've got like one person, I've got an accountant, I've got one guy who does my video editing i'm soon to have one person who's going to help me with podcasts i've got one person who does my graphic design i don't want someone who does all those things because if they up and leave i'm in a tough position you need one person for one job because if they go or anything you can replace that one person so that's kind of how they operate it looks really easy for them but there's a lot working behind the scenes and it comes down to what are my priorities what what do i say is the next step for the business because yes i've got the money coming in, I've got enough to spend on all of these things, but do I need all of these things at the minute? At the minute, the answer is no, that might change eventually. But yeah, it's one of those things and scaling, I guess, is a interesting topic for copywriters as well, because ultimately say, like, where do you want to scale to? I thought I wanted to build a team, but then I realized that's not, not at all what I want to do. I like the writing part of my job. I don't want to lose. There will be a point where I don't want to do as much writing. That's not that's not the case at the minute. I still like, I see myself as a bit of a craftsman. I don't want to outsource the majority of the writing to someone else and then top and tail it at the end like some copywriters do. I want to do the discovery call with a client. I want to have the sales call with the client. I want to write every single word of copy. The only part of my process writing wise that I outsource is my proofreading to an independent proofreader at the very end of the project just to make sure I haven't missed anything silly. That's the only part of it that I'm happy to give off everything else I want to do for myself. So yeah, it's one of those, it's your plans, isn't it? It's like, where do you want to scale? Where do you want to get to? Well, can we, I mean, Alex, I don't wake up at 5 a.m. because I wake (laughs) up at 3.30 a.m. So you can get out of that. I'm in the 3.30 club. Oh, you go to bed at like five, five in the afternoon. I wish I did. I go to bed at 8.30 and I 
probably should be earlier than that, but it uh -huh. works. It works. But I like it's <laughs> it's ridiculous when we all compare the times that we wake up because it's like, what are you going to do? Then wake up at two a.m. and then yeah, exactly. Night two a.m. club. Let's start that. <laughs> what a great idea. To what end? <laughs> to what end? Um, didn't have a question there. Just just wanted to share. If you wake <laughs> you, up that early, you got to share it. You've convinced me, uh, Alex, that if we're going to be on TikTok, it's all on Kira because I'm not posting three videos a day yeah. to get started. That's just <laughs> nuts to, to me. Yeah. So, okay, I want to I want to change the focus of our conversation just a little bit. You know, before mm -hmm. we started uh, talking, and then you also mentioned, you know, in your your pitching skills that you learned, you know, pitching fundraising. Yeah. I would love to know what you do when you pitch clients. Like, what is that conversation? What information are you sharing up front? How are you making that happen? There are so many copywriters this past year that have struggled to bring on new clients. Yeah. Uh, so share your best secrets for pitching and landing clients. So I guess my, where I think I'm best at in terms of pitching clients is by the time they get on a call with me, it's already pretty much a done deal. So a lot of people will focus on just blasting out as many cold emails as possible. And I mean, the, the outbound lead gen game is one I really respect when people do. It's not something I've done much of myself. I know for that, it's very much a numbers game. But for me, it was always to have work find me without me feeling like I'm going after many people. And that's where I've been for the last four or five years. Yes, there's still some people I see on LinkedIn and I think I'd love to work with you one day. So I'll send a connection request. Then I rely on my content to do the selling for me. So within my content, I'll, so you can pretty much, you can tell when I'm going to need some new work in, in the next few months, because my LinkedIn will switch. There won't be as many jokes anymore. And I'll be focusing on pain points that my customers have. I'll be focusing on potential objections that people have to taking up my main services, which are email marketing and website sales, uh, sales funnel copywriting. I'll focus on my process is that's one of the things that sets you apart is from other copywriters is what, what does your process looks like, look like. And if you can help a potential client see the exact steps that you're going to take, it, it makes it much more likely they're going to take the first step, which is reaching out for a call. I had a lead come into my inbox a few weeks ago and it, the, these exact words were, I love your process and it's exactly what I need. So just by like talking, a lot of the things that you do as a copywriter, you'll think are run of the mill and all copywriters do, but a lot of copywriters won't do it and your client won't know it's part of your service. And there's a big shift from, I'm going to get Alex to write words for my website to, oh, Alex is going to sit with me on a discovery call. He's going to ring 10 to 15 of my clients so he can, really dig into the pain points that they're going through, collect loads of testimonials for us, and work on my positioning. He's going to work with an SEO keyword research expert. He's going to get it all proofread at the end. He's going to wireframe the whole website for us, which makes it easier for a web developer. All of those parts of my process, I promote those with my content because then by the time it comes down to an actual call with a client, it should only be finalizing how much it's going to cost and deciding when you're going to start they're in my mind the only two unanswered questions when I get on a call with a client because I assume if saw all of my content and they already know all about it anyway. If they haven't, yes, that's when I'll go back and I'll explain. I'll just explain my process. But it always comes back to that. I'm never really selling to them in a sense. I'm just going through 
what makes me different and the bit that makes me different from a lot of website copywriters is my is my research process how in depth it is and the fact that I wireframe websites for people as well so that's the part I really push on the calls because that's what it's going to make us different but yeah I don't really rely on making them trust me on the call or anything like that because like I say because it's inbound I assume they've already gone through that I spoke to a sales expert the other day and he says the first question he asks someone on the phone is do you know you already want this or do I have to sell it to you? And that, that's a really brazen, bold question to ask at the start of a sales call. I don't think I'm as bold to do that at the minute. I love the style, but it's the same ethos behind it. It's a case of, do you already know you want this? Is a case of just ironing out, ironing out the details. Because sometimes if you get a prospect on a call and you try and sell to them and they're already sold, you can talk, you can talk your way out of the sale sometimes. You can say, you can, you can make them think of too many things they hadn't thought about and you just need to concentrate on getting them over the line. But yeah, I've always just focused on being really clear with what it is they're getting, what it is they want, how I can help. And yeah, just focus, just let, let my content do the selling for us essentially. Another question you can ask that maybe isn't quite as bold is, one through 10, like how hard do I need to sell you? And I, I usually do that yeah. halfway through the call when we've already built rapport. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. do I need to come on really strong? Because I will, because I want to work with you. Or yeah. can I tone this down? You're already sold. And even that just mm -hmm. takes that, I don't know, takes the pressure off and makes it feel a little bit lighter. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I guess like things like that would definitely work if they're a bit more cold, I guess, and they haven't seen your content and you may be going after them. It's a yeah, it's a you have no idea. If you have no idea, yeah. you need to read the room real quick. It helps to That's do that. Um, so let's, as we wrap, I want to hear about what's next for you. I want to hear about the podcast and where people, listeners could go to connect with you. Yeah, so podcasts called Copy Cracks so or like the Irish Crack, C-R-A-I-C. Um, took us ages to come up with that. Like the, the simplest names come up with a, like the longest time to take, isn't it? And the whole ethos of it is it's helping you grow your business and look after yourself while you do it. So we've got business experts on there, sales experts, LinkedIn experts. Then at the same time, we've got a guy who's an expert in like desk ergonomics to help make sure you look after, looking after your back at work. We're going to have some mental health experts on there as well. Just really all the things that you need as a self-employed business owner, freelance copywriter to one, win clients so the business looks after you and then make sure that you're looking after yourself while you're building the business uh, essentially. So by the time this launches, I guess my first episode will be live. The trailer's already live. So people just search Copy Crack in your favorite podcast player, which seems to be Spotify. Um, now they seem to have taken over Apple by quite a bit um, and that will be there. And then other than that, the best place to look for us, connect with us is on LinkedIn. If you just search Alex Thompson on LinkedIn, my face should pop up on there. And yeah, I'm going to assume if I post comments uh, there, Alex, I'm going to get a response from you. Uh, or maybe you'll uh, post something about me, uh, making fun of me. Uh, you know, who, <laughs> know, who knows what's going what's gonna to show up there. So we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about your business and, you know, how far you've come and appreciate the kind words that you shared about the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to, nice to have you on, uh, as a yes, copywriter who started with the podcast and, and yeah. like you said, has completed the circle. Yeah. Like I say, this has been so good, like real surreal moment coming on because I've listened to so many episodes. So, uh, thanks for having us on. I hope it was, um, helpful for the listeners. That's the end of our interview with Alex Thompson. 
Is it just me or have we talked to a lot of Brits lately? It, it seems like there have been a, a string of them recently. As usual, I want to expand on a couple of the ideas that we talked about during our interview with Alex and hopefully give you just a little bit more to think about as you steal some of these ideas to use in your own business. And you know, I want to go back to early on in the interview where Alex was talking about his hesitation to get started. He, he found copywriting, but either the timing wasn't right or he felt like he didn't know enough. And this is so common. It's something that we see with copywriters in the Copywriter Club all the time. People who want to do this thing, but they're just not exactly sure where to get started and what those first steps are. Most importantly, the the idea that Alex shared was that you can do this. You've If you've listened to very many of the episodes of our podcast, you've heard copywriters who have had like Alex mentioned, some pretty crazy, some pretty extreme things happening in their lives, and yet they were still able to run successful businesses. People have done it from, uh, you know, overseas and working with American or or UK or Australian clients. We've had people who have suffered from depression and illness and and uh, losing family members and friends and all kinds of business challenges that we've talked with people over the last 360 episodes. If they can do it, you can do it too. But you do have to get started. And that's why we have programs like the Copywriter Accelerator, which just started. If you want more information about that, just email us at help at thecopywriterclub.com and we'll get you some information on that. Uh, but also, you know, the Underground and the copy course that is coming out later this month all are places where you can start and, and improve your skills and learn enough to get that first client and get rolling. And I, I'll just echo, you can do it. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're interested in being a copywriter, if you've been struggling to get started, take the next step and do it. But mostly what I want to mention from what Alex shared with us is just to recap his LinkedIn strategy. All of us have heard that you need to be on social media and posting. And a lot of us know that our clients aren't in on Instagram. They're not on TikTok, but they are absolutely on LinkedIn. This is particularly true with most businesses. A lot of e-commerce stores are on Instagram. And so a lot of what Alex shared is applicable there too. But let's focus in on that LinkedIn strategy. So, you know, you've been posting and you, you haven't heard anything. And part of the problem when we've looked at other copywriters who said, yeah, I'm not getting any traction is the kinds of posts that are there. And uh, some of them are boring, but boring is not really the problem. Uh, boring gets lost. And, you know, if, if what you write can't catch attention, if it can't hold attention, that's one of the worst things that we can do as copywriters. We have to be able to get noticed. Different gets noticed. Humor gets noticed. It stands out. And if you can get noticed, if you can catch that attention now, the job becomes, can you hold that attention? And that's where Alex's ideas around controversy help because controversy gets interaction. If either people come in as, as your, um, as your friend and yeah, I, you know, they're almost cheering for you. Yes. It's about time somebody said this, or they come in thinking, I can't believe you're saying something so stupid or so wrong. And that dichotomy drives a lot of comments and a lot of shares and comments and shares are what drive the algorithm to share your post, which then puts it in front of more people who see it and 
then see the controversy and have the same reaction, either for or against, and they jump in, right? So these kinds of posts, assuming that you're not only doing controversy, you're you're sort of steering away from uh, some areas that I, I think can be really deadly to brands. Politics tends to be one of those. Uh, there are places for talking about politics and for sharing some of those beliefs, but if you're going to uh, if you're going to court controversy around political beliefs, uh, it's that's a really hard thing to temporize with the other kinds of posts that Alex talks about, which was talking about your offers, talking about your successes, talking about what you do, talking about what you don't do. The problem that a lot of us have, in addition to you know throwing up stuff that just doesn't get noticed, is that we write about copywriting. And we've talked a lot about this with copywriters that we've coached because copywriters do this copy thing so well and they think, well, you know, maybe I should create a copywriting course or maybe I should share my copywriting templates. And that's great. But if you're only talking to copywriters, that's not really where the, the great audience is. You know, sharing this in your niche where they need copy templates, there are no other people selling copywriting courses. That can be a gold mine. But when writing about copywriting, you have to keep in mind that, as Alex pointed out, copywriters are interested in copywriting, but clients are not. Clients don't want to hear about copywriting. They don't need posts about headlines or calls to action. They're not interested in writing formulas. What they are interested in is somebody helping them solve a business problem, somebody helping them bring additional revenue into their business or additional clients and customers into their business or taking something off of their plate that they don't have time to get done and getting it done. They want to see results. They want to see proof that you can do these things. They want help fixing marketing problems and real business problems. And if all you're writing about is copywriting, you're missing this huge opportunity for them to see what you really do. Yeah, we write copy, but our copy solves problems. Our copy is there to help our clients grow and to you know, fix things happening in their business. It's not really about the copy. It's about the thing the copy gets them. And sometimes it's even a deeper level than that. And those are the kinds that you want to kinds of things you want to talk about as we're posting on LinkedIn, even on Instagram, TikTok, wherever it is that you're sharing your thoughts about the work that you do. That uh, that's the that's the way you ought to be approaching it and thinking about it. Yeah, have some fun posts, court controversy if that works for you, humor if uh, if you don't want to be too controversial. But then when it gets down to writing the serious stuff, helping clients see what you do, it's not copywriting, it's solving problems. And with that, we want to thank Alex for joining us to chat about his business, what he's been doing on LinkedIn. Both Alex and last week's guest, Abby, have shared some great ideas for finding clients that are working now, not pre-2020, not last year, but literally they've used them to find clients in the last two or three weeks. So we really appreciate such applicable advice for copywriters and those ideas that you can steal and use in your business. If you want to connect with Alex, go to LinkedIn. You can connect with him there or check out his website, actcopywriting.co.uk. And you can hang out with him there as well. And just a quick reminder, we are coming to London for a one day in real life event on October 25th. Like I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, I haven't checked, but I do think there are a few tickets left. If uh, you want to join us, get your tickets fast so we know that you're going to be there we can make sure that we've got a seat 
for you. If you're in the UK or if you can get yourself to the UK, to London in October, we would love to hang out with you in person and work on your business together. You can find out more information about that event and get your ticket at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash London. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to leave a review of the show. And if we see it, we will share it on a future episode. Don't miss our other podcast, AI for Creative Entrepreneurs.com. You can watch that on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole damn episode.